theme from our text here this morning. And then also on the back, I have discussion questions, which uh, hopefully you will be using in your families or talking together and, and uh, working through based on the sermon here. Uh, remember, through the uh, website, you can always go back and listen to the podcast again and again and again uh, if you would like to inflict punishment upon yourself like that. Otherwise, uh, for reference, you can certainly do that. Okay? So let's just review what we covered last week. We got through the first couple of verses. Uh, verse 1a Jesus is a better high priest because of his position. His position. Why is, it, why is he better? First, he's a better priest because he is seated. Okay, He is seated. Why is it that seated is a better position? Remember, last week we discussed no Levitical priest could ever sit down because the work they did was never finished. Right? Is all day long, it was nothing but continual sacrifices. Why was that? Because the sin... That offering only covered that sin. If you left there and sinned again on your way home, guess what? That's right. Back again you went to make another sin offering uh, on your behalf. So the only way a priest could ever sit down would be if people would just stop sinning, which is why no priest ever sat down. And even if he wanted to sit down, there was no place in there for him to sit down anyway. There was only one seat in the Holy of Holies, and that was the mercy seat, and only God's Shekinah glory would sit upon that seat. No one would even dare not to try to sit down there. It would be instantaneous death. So Jesus was a better high priest because of his position. What position was that? He was seated. Uh, but notice the second part of verse 1. He was not just seated. He was seated where? At the right hand of the throne of majesty. Okay, right hand of the throne of majesty. What does that mean? Well, remember the right hand uh, of, the, of the throne is a place of honor. It's a place of power. It's a place of exaltation. And that great truth, remember, was already introduced to us back in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. We looked at that last week that told us that Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. And it'll be mentioned again in chapter, Hebrews chapter 10 and Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to keep reemphasizing this theme. And remember, the whole enthronement... Uh, enthronement, I'm sorry, was the fulfillment of the Father's promise to the Son from Psalm 110. And uh, when we went uh, through chapter 7, and uh, I mean, yeah, chapter 7, we went back to this again and again. Psalm 110, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies my footstool. So Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father is actually a fulfillment of the prophecy of Psalm 110 uh, about the Messiah. Also, notice in verse 1 that phrase, in the heavens, that refers to the dwelling place of God. Remember at the tail end of chapter 7, it told us that the earthly high priests, the Levitical high priests, were priests based out of weakness, but not our great high priests. And so, rather than an imperfect human priest who can only enter the Holy of Holies once a year, who can never stay there very long, much less sit permanently, we have a great high priest who's seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. Again, the whole point here was, remember, we have a group of Christians, right? Some are professing Christians, some are believing Christians, and then we have also in that church that's listening to this epistle, we have those who are unsaved. Right now, he's really directing it towards believing Christians and professing Christians. And he is saying... <clears throat> Why would you even consider going back to that old system? 
Why would you go back to that system, which was just a shadow, a copy, if you will, of what was really going on in heaven? <clears throat> Not only did the high priest of Israel never sit down in the tabernacle, he never sat down on a throne. Only Christ could do that because he's not from the Levitical order of priests. He's a priest from the order of Melchizedek. He's both a king and a priest. Okay? So, again, Jesus is better because of his position. What position is that? Seated. Secondly, he's not only seated, he's seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty. Not only could no Levitical priest ever sit down, they could never even imagine doing that. But our high priest can and did. So, Verse 2, we saw here last time, verse 2, a minister in the sanctuary, in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched on uh, not man. So Jesus is a better high priest because of his place, his place in your notes. Our text tells us he's a minister. That's actually two Greek words, letreo, which means belonging to the people. And the other word is ergon, and Greek means to work. So the minister is somebody who works on behalf of the people. Okay, that's what a minister is supposed to do. Is one who works for the sake of or on behalf of the people. Which means that Jesus Christ, our great high priest, exalted in the heavens, seated at the right hand of the Father, and the throne of majesty, is ministering on your behalf even now. Even now. Notice that word sanctuary, that word hagios in the Greek means the holies. That's heaven, my friends. This is where God's holy of holies is. The true holy of holies is where God's throne is. God has a holy place in heaven, and that's where Jesus ministers. Notice also that he calls it a true tabernacle. Again, this is all from last week, a true tabernacle. That word true means genuine. Okay, Not true as compared to false, but true as compared to the real versus or the genuine versus the counterfeit. And that's where we'll pick up from this morning as the author of Hebrews continues with his main point, Jesus is a better high priest. And we're going to look then and start unpacking verse 3. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer, asking to bless our time together in his word. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, again for the truth of your text. Lord, it challenges us in so many ways and encourages us and exhorts us, often rebukes us. But I pray we'd have open hearts and minds to your wonderful truth, that we would receive your word, not just being hearers only, but doers of your word as well. We wouldn't just receive it and say, boy, the person next to me really needs to hear this, but rather say, Lord, what would you have me do with this first in my life that will bring you honor and glory? And so, Father, that's our heart's desire here this morning as we open up your wonderful text. May you be glorified in and through it all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So again, just to recap, Jesus is better because of his position. What is that? Seated. Where is he seated? Throne of majesty. He's also better because of his place. Where is that? He ministers in the sanctuary. Sanctuary. This is God's holy of holies in the heaven. It is the true tabernacle of God. True tabernacle of God. Let's look at verse 3 then together. <clears throat> For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Verse 3 is basically a repeat of what he said in chapter 5, verse 1. Basically, he's re restating the same thing. 
we are reminded at the very essence of what it means to be a minister in the priesthood includes some essential functions. If you're going to be a high priest, if you're going to be a priest, you're going to minister to the people, you're going to work on behalf of the people, there were certain functions that a priest had to do that were included in that. One of which was mediation between God and man. They were the mediator. They would take God's message and give it to God's people, and then they would pray and intercede, if you will, on behalf of the people to God. And so they were a mediator between God and man. They were a buffer, if you will. Nobody could just automatically make themselves that person. Remember, in the Old Testament law, it had to be someone that God had chosen, and the people that God had chosen were those that he chose to be his priests. So, uh, mediation between God and man. And that's done through the offering up of gifts and sacrifices for the sins of God's people against him. <clears throat> it was also done through prayers and supplication and intercession on behalf of God's people. Incidentally, all the verbs in verse 3 are all present tense, which means that there were sacrifices going on at the time of this writing. So, in other words, when this was being written, the temple was still standing. And there were still sacrifices going on. So when they're talking about this here in verse 3, every point is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. All those are, he's speaking about at that time. That's still going on. So these professing believers could see that priests were offering up gifts and sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem. But how did they know that Jesus was actually ministering in the sanctuary? Has anyone actually seen Jesus minister? as a high priest while on earth. They certainly had not seen him minister in the heavenly sanctuary. They knew under the law that every high priest needed to offer gifts and sacrifices. But if Jesus is our great high priest, what is it that he was going to offer as a gift and a sacrifice? After all, I just told you that he is seated and that his work is done once and for all. Being a high priest isn't an honorary title. It's a functioning title, right? So what exactly is Jesus doing is the question. And so the author simply states it. Every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. So it's necessary that this high priest also has something to offer. Now, there are two kinds of sacrifices in the Old Testament that you should know about. There were meal offerings, grain offerings, drink offerings. They were all bloodless offerings. That's one kind, okay? Bloodless offerings. The other types of offerings included uh, the blood offerings, right, where the sin sacrifice, right, all of those were called sacrifices. So you have gifts, which are bloodless offerings, and then you have sacrifices, which are offerings that include the blood. Okay? Every priest was expected to offer both as commanded by God in his law. Now we understand and have already talked about Christ's perfect sacrifice, which he offered on uh, his blood upon the mercy seat when he offered himself as the sacrifice once and for all, right? Once and for all. We saw that in Hebrews 7, verse 27. His sacrifice was once and for all. That's why he was seated, right? There was no need where the Levitical priests were offering continual sacrifices. Christ's sacrifice was sufficient for all sin past, present, and future. 
Well, he uh, is going to come back to that again in chapter 9 and chapter 10, but here he just kind of passes by it, kind of just kind of waves at it, but we'll go in greater depth in the next two chapters. So we understand that Jesus offering the perfect once and for all blood sacrifice for himself, but what about gifts? What is it that Jesus is going to offer as a gift? That's the function of a high priest. What exactly, what gift is he going to offer? And this is where I found uh, Dr. MacArthur's explanation the best regarding gift offerings of Jesus, our great high priest. And he writes this. In the Old Testament, all of the meal offerings had to do with thanksgiving and dedication. So when someone brought a meal offering, they were thanking God and then dedicating their life to God. That's what was the point of all those bloodless offerings. They were, they were offerings of thanksgiving and dedication. It was an act of dedication. It was not atonement for sin. It was a personal dedication or a personal commitment. And so what he's doing is praising God and thanking God and acknowledging God in his life and committing himself to live for God. That's what the priest would be doing on behalf of whoever was making those, uh, those gift offerings. So that's uh, what those sacrifices or gift offering meant. And so we see that Jesus is still continuing to do this. And how does that happen? Well, none of us can praise God or can dedicate ourselves to God or can truly even worship God or truly even thank God unless we do it through whom? Through Jesus. We always come to God by him. And so in a sense... Christ continues even now to minister gifts to God. Our gifts, as we bring thanks to God, as we bring praise to God, as we bring the worship of our hearts to God, and the dedication of our lives to present them to God, Christ takes those gifts of our thanks and our praise and our worship and our dedication, and he offers them to God as a gift of his children. So Jesus' blood sacrifice was a once and for all atonement for sin, but his gift offering continues. Remember last week we talked about his intercessory prayer. That's one part of what he's doing. And now we have this gifts where he leaks our prayers and lifts them and gives them to the Father as a gift. So again, Jesus is better because of his position. He, What position is that? Seated. Okay? indicating his work was done once and for all. Secondly, he was not only seated, but seated where? At the right hand of the throne of majesty. Second, Jesus is a better high priest because of his place. He ministers in the sanctuary. This is God's holy of holies in heaven. It's the true tabernacle of God, not made with human hands. Third, Jesus is a better high priest because of his gifts and sacrifice. Christ takes our thanks, our praise, and our worship, and our dedication, which can only be accomplished with and through him, and he offers them to God as a gift. Christ's sacrifice was a once and for all sacrifice. Now let's look at verse 4 then together. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law. There's a lot of consternation about this particular verse, but it really is pretty straightforward in its understanding. If Jesus were a priest on earth, he would not be qualified. That's hard to believe. 
Why not? Well, he's not from the tribe of Levi. So it was impossible for Christ to fulfill his priestly function in the tabernacle here on earth because God had commanded only the sons of Aaron from the tribe of Levi uh, were permitted to function in the earthly tabernacle. So all this verse is saying is that it would have been redundant, would it have not, to have Christ just be another priest under the law. He's not even from that order. He's not even from that tribe. He would, he's disqualified from serving that way anyway. Had Jesus even attempted to operate in that tabernacle, he would have been an intruder. And the gifts he would have presented as well as the sacrifices he's offered would have been unacceptable because God had commanded something different. He would not have been considered a priest and therefore could not have had a ministry in that tabernacle. Therefore, in order for him to function as our great high priest, it was necessary that he be provided with a better sanctuary. And since his ministry is on the basis of a resurrected life, that new tabernacle cannot be an earthly tabernacle. It needs to be a heavenly one in which a resurrected high priest can minister. And that, of course, is the true tabernacle, not crafted by human hands, but the genuine, true tabernacle in the Holy of Holies in heaven. That's where Christ is ministering even now. So again, <clears throat> Jesus could not minister as a high priest in the earthly tabernacle, for your note following. He was not from the tribe of Levi and thus was disqualified according to the law. And thus his ministry would be done in a better sanctuary. A better sanctuary. Let's then look at verse 5. Who He says, uh, pick up from verse 4 again. He would not be a priest at all since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, for see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. Well, this is a quote actually from Exodus 25, verse 40. But let me explain the significance of the point he's making here. But to do that, we need to do a little bit of background. So... <clears throat> Let's walk our fingers back to Exodus chapter 24, shall we? Exodus chapter 24. I just want to give you a brief background into why he chooses this text from the Old Testament to quote. Exodus 24. So I have Genesis and Exodus, second book of the Bible. <clears throat> Exodus 24, beginning in verse 3. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. And then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel. So here we see that God is already giving given them his commandments to Moses, and Moses has written them down, and the people had promised to obey. Moses has not received the commandments on the stone tablets yet. That's still coming up. And he's not received any instruction about how to build the tabernacle yet either. That will happen later 
when Moses proceeds to the mountain and remains there for 40 days and 40 nights. But before this takes place, God is going to reveal himself in a marvelous way to the elders of Israel, as well as to Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu. Now look at Exodus 24 again, verses 1 and 2. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the leaders of Israel, and you shall worship where? At a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with them. Remember, we looked at this before, where God had said, When my presence is here, you cannot approach me any way that you choose. Matter of fact, remember in Exodus 19, I believe, he said, Hey, you guys stay back. Don't even let the animals come and touch their uh, paw on the mountain, right? Or they will be destroyed. Don't even let them come up. Now look at verses 9 through 11 in chapter 24 as we move forward. So then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. And they saw God, and they ate, and they drank. Now this is an intriguing text, to say the least, because men could not look upon God without dying. So previously, we saw in our study in Hebrews that God had placed a very strict boundaries on where man could and could not approach God. Remember, we spent a lot of time on that. The reason we even need a mediator, even the reason we need a high priest, is because we cannot just casually stroll into the presence of God any way that we choose. God is holy and perfect and divine and glorious. We don't just stroll into his presence and are and under any terms that we choose. He is God Almighty. Well, remember back in Exodus 19, again, now even the animals weren't allowed to venture upon the mountain. Yet somehow God seems to make an exception here. When we read verses 9 through 10, which I just did, you can hardly avoid the conclusion that these elders and priests and Moses are given a little glimpse of heaven, a little foretaste of heaven. Now, we don't want to read into the text more than that's what's there. Maybe they never lifted their eyes above just the waist level. We don't know. We're not sure what happened here. But something is going on. And if this is what God had revealed to these leaders, what more did he reveal to Moses? Now, turn to Exodus 25. Look at verses 8 and 9. So now he commands them, Let them construct a sanctuary for me, that I may dwell among them, according to all that I'm going to do what? Show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall construct it. So at some point within the 40 days and nights, the Moses is on the top of the mountain, and God gives him a very detailed revelation of how he wanted this earthly tabernacle to be constructed. And then we see that in, in Exodus 25, verse 40. That's what was quoted earlier. So look at that. Exodus 25, verse 40. See that you make them after the pattern for them, which was what? Shown to you on the mountain. Now look at Exodus 26, verse 30. Just go one chapter to your right. We see the same thing again. 
Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to its plan which you have been shown in the mountain. And then again in Exodus 27, verse 8. You shall make it hollow with planks as it was shown to you in the mountain. So they shall make it. Actually, we can actually even find this repeated again in the New Testament in Acts chapter 7, verse 44, in Stephen's great uh, sermon, where he talks about this as well. As it was shown to you, as it was shown to you, as it was shown to you. But here's what I don't want you to miss. God gave the elders of Israel this extraordinary revelation of himself in Scripture that very few in Scripture are ever afforded. We got to see the glory of God. Think of the impact that would have made on you if you saw with your own eyes just a glimpse of God's Shekinah glory. Because everywhere we see it in Scripture, where they come into the presence of God's glory, they immediately fall on their face and cry, Woe is me! I am a sinner. Unclean. Think of the impact in your personal life if God manifested his glory and you were allowed to see God's glory, just a glimpse of it before heaven. Think of how that might change your entire mindset. If you had been wobbling in your faith, never again after that point, right? You have seen it. You're not just walking by faith. Now your, your, your sight is actually confirming your faith. Think of the assurance you would have. And then think of Moses and how much more was given for him to see. Now turn to Exodus 32. Verse 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come make us a God, small g, who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Sometime in this period of 40 days, they get a grand new idea. Come make us a God who will, become, who will go before us for this Moses. Aaron said, verse 2, to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took them from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Notice that Lord is all capitalized. We're making a feast to Jehovah God. That's what he says. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way in which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten cloth and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. 
somehow with leaders who saw the Shekinah glory of God in less than six weeks have went from that to this man-made molten calf and said, this is now our God. The children of God determined they wanted a God that they could see and touch, and so they find Aaron to be a willing participant in the fashioning of the golden calf and in leading the nation of Israel in heathen worship. All that they have been shown is just a glimpse of the glory of God was discarded for a God that they could create with their own hands. Think about that for just a second. All that God had furnished them was designed as a means for them to be able to draw near to him. All of it, the entire part of it, was all designed so that they could draw near to God. The tabernacle, the sacrifices, the holies, the holy of holies, the priest representing them. All of that was so that they could draw near to God and God could draw near to them. And yet, even with what they saw, they replaced it for something that was just a mere shadow a copy of what the real worship and sanctuary and tabernacle was. God's people create a God with their own hands and demand that they be left free to worship their idols. Does that sound familiar? The point being made here is that the tabernacle and the furnishings along with the sacrifices and the priestly system were but a copy and a shadow of something vastly superior, something heavenly. Do you know that a shadow has no existence at all? A shadow is really just, when you look around, if you see a shadow, you say, oh, something's making a shadow. It's not like the shadow is real, right? It's just a, it's a reflection of something that is real. In the same way, the Levitical priesthood was just a copy or a shadow of the real ministry that was being done by our great high priest in the true tabernacle, in the sanctuary of God in the Holy of Holies. You know, when I was growing up, my stepdad would build these intricate model clipper ships. They were, they were probably four foot long and had lights in them and rigging and, and sails. And it would take hours upon hours to... I mean, it's an amazing feat of great patience from a man who often exhibited very little of it. But yet somehow when he was doing that, he had all the time in the world. He always demonstrated great care and built these amazing models. But you want to know something? As beautiful and intricate as those models were, they actually served no practical purpose at all. I mean, they collected a lot of dust, and they were a real pain to try to clean and dust, but there was no practical purpose for it. They were never going to carry any passengers. They were never going to carry any cargo. For that matter, they would never even sail. Not that we didn't think about throwing them in the water sometime, but... They were just copies of the real clipper ship that sailed the world. And so no matter how much time and care and patience my stepdad spent in building them, they would never be as good as the real thing. They were mere copies or shadows of the genuine clipper ships. My friends, it's so easy for us to forget our great high priest, and chase copies and shadows in our own lives. 
We were talking about it this morning a little bit, about worldliness and how easily it creeps in and how deceptive and subtle it is. And if you're not careful, you could start to believe that those things are really important in your life, that they have great value in your life. But none of that will ever be as good as the real thing, the most important thing, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All of those are just mere shadows and copies of things that we try to stuff it into that emptiness of that hole inside of us, hoping that it fills us up when only Christ can. They're just mere shadows and copies of what Christ gives us through a resurrected life. As you follow the flow of argument here, our great high priest, unlike the Levitical priest, is seated at the right hand of God in the throne of majesty, which is in the heavens. We have a high priest who ministers, whose place of ministry is at the Father's right hand. Think about that. There's no more powerful place in all of the universe than right there. The sanctuary in which he serves is no mere shadow. It is the reality of a heavenly sanctuary. It's the true tabernacle established by Christ, not by man. Every high priest needs to offer gifts and sacrifices of some kind. And this, our high priest, our Lord Jesus, also needed something to offer. He offers our prayers of thanksgiving and thankfulness and a dedicated life as a gift to the Father. And, of course, he offered his own life as the perfect sacrifice once and for all. If he were an earthly priest, he would be redundant. The, the Levitical priest functioned in an earthly taf, tabernacle, offering sacrifices prescribed by the law. That's why you never read in Scripture Jesus doing that. They serve in a tabernacle that's a copy or a shadow, representing something vastly inferior to what exists in heaven. And this is why God warned Moses to construct the earthly tabernacle so that it would reflect reflect the greater heaven reality, that reality of what he was given a glimpse of on Mount Sinai. Thus, his priestly ministry is better. Jesus is a better high priest. God graciously gives us these earthly shadows to meet our needs for the moment, but all of it is in preparation for when we come into the real sanctuary with our true high priest. Someday, beloved, we will be there. Someday, we will be there. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, I pray, as we think about the things that we embrace in our life that are mere shadows and copies Father, how easy it is for us to get caught up in those and believe that those have any real value, these temporal things that we place such a high priority on in our life. It can be power. It can be prestige. It can be appearance. It can be what others think of us. It can be so many things, Lord. Our hearts are little idol factories. and <clears throat> We love to fill ourselves up with those little molten calves and give them value when they have none. But Lord, your word is true. 
And we're so thankful, Lord, that we have our great high priest who can sympathize with our weakness, who was tempted in all things and yet without sin, who willingly went to the cross to offer himself as the ultimate sacrifice once and for all, for all who will put their faith and trust in him as their Lord and Savior. Father, guard our hearts in a world where we're bombarded with lots of copies and shadows. Father, let us stay true and genuine to our true and genuine great high priest. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.